Hello again, Australians. Welcome to the new Stand Up Australia podcast, Stand Up Sits Down With, a contrarian conversation rebutting the mainstream narrative. So each week we discuss and deconstruct the most relevant news stories in Australia and around the world that you may have missed during the past week. We separate fact from fiction so you can make better decisions about which way you want to go politically and personally. So today on the show, we're going to be talking about Commie Bank, uh, sorry, I mean the Commonwealth Bank, which begins linking your transactions to your carbon footprint. A minimum 35% rise in energy costs next year is on the cards, says a Linter Energy boss. The pandemic review is out and it finds what most of us already knew. Schools should have stayed open. The most vulnerable were affected and the most most and more people died from drugs of dependence because of it. The federal budget is also out. It shows the payouts to vaccines will top 77 million, sorry, vaccine injured will top $77 million by next year. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. And if we can get to it, a little bit of international news, the ACIP committee recommends the COVID jab for all children six months and above to be added to the childhood schedule by a vote of 15 to none. So today, once again, we're sitting down with our favourite journalist and freedom fighter, Robin Shooter from Empowered Total Health and the Empowered publication on Substack. Fresh from some time away and ready to shoot the shit once again about the goings-on and the soon-to-be-once-again soon to great nation of ours. So how have you been, Robin, and what have you been working on since the last time we spoke? How have I been? Well, I've uh, I've been to the big smoke first time in a while. I didn't like it, and I'm glad to be back home. <laughs> what have I been working on? Look, to, to be to be perfectly honest, I'm still keeping up to speed with with you know the the latest and not greatest in the in the COVID poo show. But I I'm, I'm so hardly sick of it. I'll get back to writing about COVID on my uh, on my Substack. But I'm just taking a break from it right now because the the insanity level just continues to to ramp up and you know every now and again I just feel I need to take a break from writing about this so I don't blow a gasket <laughs> if you know yeah. what I mean I certainly do yeah. you know, I don't blame you me and you both have had a bit of a break yeah from so so I guess you know uh, what what I'm working on right now is I figure so we've all we've we've all um, well, those of us who aren't asleep uh, have figured out that the government isn't there to help and we can't rely on the so-called health system to to actually promote our health. So I figure the best service that I can offer people now is to help them get educated on how they can keep themselves healthy. <laughs> so that's what I'm currently writing about on my Substack. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay, I'll read, to read, read some of it. Good. Oh, so should we <laughs> should we jump in to, to dissect the uh, the news of the week? We certainly should. Well, let's start with this uh, this commie bank um, farce that's going on right now. So, yeah, Australian Bank begins. This is actually from um, from Summit News. It was Paul Joseph Watson. So uh, he's written a good article here. So in another foretaste of potential future carbon allowance limits, a major bank in Australia has introduced a new feature that links purchases to a customer's carbon footprint and warns them when they're going over the average. So this has the potential, I think, to turn into, well, not potential, it's it's obviously the plan is to turn this into a, a sort of credit system where if you spend too much on your carbon footprint, you get your funds cut off or, or down or yes. you have to purchase more. Oh, this this is a key step in the transition to that social credit score. I think it's also really important to point out that that there's this is a direct 
link back to the original aims of technocracy. So uh, technocracy, the movement founded in the 1930s, you know, largely as a um, as a reaction to the the sort of the, the economic crisis of the the Great Depression, uh, the technocrats wanted to replace the existing both existing uh, governance systems and also the existing economic system. They basically wanted to do away with with currency, with money, and replace that with a unit of account that had to do with energy expenditure. Now, of course, they didn't have the the technology to implement their plans. But what what we see now is, you know, th this is this is the um, instantiation of technocracy. In other words, it's not how much you're you're spending when you go shopping. It's how much those purchases sort of cost, quote unquote, in terms of their their carbon footprint. So, um, uh, yeah, we 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 should be absolutely alert to this, pushing back on it. I really encourage anyone who still banks with the Commonwealth, like pull it out, close your accounts, transfer your, your money to somebody else and let them know why. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that's probably the best way. Unfortunately, I my business banks with Commonwealth Bank. <laughs> Um, yeah, and, this, this, yeah. is, this is not easy, but I think we're, we're all facing um, a whole set of choices that are not easy. Mm. Are we at risk of just pulling out of that bank and, and um, having it happen with another bank, though? I mean, this seems to be uh, yes, coming from up high. Yes, we, we, are, we are at risk of that, but in the same way that, that you know, with the PayPal debacle where they were going to fine you, like steal $2,500 of your money if you said something that they didn't like. So what happened? A whole bunch of people closed their PayPal accounts and then PayPal says, oh, we didn't mean it. Oh, yeah, that was an error, didn't you hear? Come that back. Sent, sent out by error. They didn't actually mean that, yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> I think, you know, um, uh, consumer pressure can can uh, have an effect. Now, clearly, I mean, the Commonwealth is just enacting a government agenda, right? there, In the same way that the media is basically the mouthpiece of government, the, the banks, especially the big banks, are, are the, the agents of government in this. It is government that wants this. And they're just, in a sense, delegating what they want to, to banks like the Commonwealth. However, um, you know, you, you can see even, even in the, the action that the that many of the Republican states in the US have taken where they're actually disinvesting from you know BlackRock and Vanguard. They're saying, look, we're we're pulling out our pension funds from anything that that is subject to ESGs, environmental yep. and, and, and social governance uh, criteria. So so that does have an impact. Yeah. Um, now, yes, there is a risk there that you pull your money out of the Commonwealth and you go with a smaller bank and then they, they pull the same, the same trick. But if, if enough people do this and they keep on withdrawing their money and their business from banks or other, other businesses, other for-profit entities that, that are doing this, then, you know, um, there, there's got to be a, a point at which a business says, look, we're a business and our business is not viable. If we keep losing customers by enacting the, the the policies that the government wants us to enact, yeah, and I think uh, you have to keep in mind too. Private companies are there for a reason; they're there to earn money, and mm. they do that. They do these things because they feel like this is what the public wants. And I do think there is a large portion of the public, probably the majority, to be honest with you, in Australia, who would probably think that this is a good idea to cut down your carbon footprint to save you know, to save the earth from global warming, um, whether you believe in that or not. I know I don't, but um, um, 
Certainly anthropogenic-driven global warming yes, is yes, I mean, very questionable. Yeah. Or yep. very questionable. Um, mm. But in the end, if you're a public company, your first um, your first thing to think about is to your shareholders. And if you're making a decision that is not making your shareholders money, that is a huge problem. So... And- and we've seen this happen with with JP Morgan. You know, the Jamie, I've forgotten his last name, but the Diamond. head honcho at JP Morgan saying, no, we're we're not, we're not going to disinvest from oil companies. Do you do you think we're nuts? Yeah. So yeah, again, you know, <laughs> it's the first we, time we I've agreed with Jamie Diamond on anything, to be honest. <laughs> right. Yeah. So so we're I, I know, right? Normally you wouldn't say, hey, yeah. the, the head of JP Morgan's actually actually say something I agree with, but oh, it's best time for everything. Um, so I think I think we are seeing the cracks beginning to appear. And as usual, the cracks appear first in the US because of all their cultural differences compared to us. And I agree. Australians are depressingly compliant and depressingly willing to accept government intrusion and and sort of um um, essentially fascistic intru- intrusion, yeah. and I'm, I'm using that in in the you know in the technical sense where you have a merger of corporate corporations and state because well, yeah, you know, that's what sense. we're seeing. That's what it is. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I mean yeah. the government uh, the government is is having its policies enacted by supposedly a, a private corporation. So yeah, yeah we're, we're in fascism. Hello. Um, so Australians are are, are depressingly non non fussed. I'm fussed about that, but I, I, I guess that's our job, right? We, we, we need to get it out there. We, we need to put that message out there as, as loud and clear as we can. This is not in your interest. And by the way, the people who are imposing this on you, they're flying their private jets and they're, they're living in their, you know, massive mansions uh, that, that, that just guzzle electricity, you know, like, like, um, um, Al Gore with his sort of yeah. <laughs> massively energy expensive house yeah. <laughs> and, and flying around on pl- private jets and then yeah. preaching to everyone else that, that, that they, you know, that their carbon emissions are too high. I mean, come on. Surely yeah. people have to wake up to this. Yeah, you, you, you'd think so, but um, you think the, last, so. <laughs> the last couple of years have sort of demonstrated <laughs> we, we, that. Seems we to have be to somehow maintain our optimism yeah. for, for change, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> one person at a time yeah <laughs> yeah exactly yeah right. well on the kind of like a very similar topic our next story is about uh the 35 percent sort of cost rise uh i think this is going to be a minimum and i see this causing a lot of issues i've got a clip here from abc news which i actually think it's quite a good clip it explains everything pretty well so i'm going to play that um There's nothing pretty about Australia's power surge. Prices are already uncomfortably high and still on the climb. Electricity is the one that I think most about. The Treasurer facing a dilemma, how to help households hit hard by a power shock without worsening the cost of living crisis. It is going to be the most problematic aspect of it, of our inflation problem over the course of the next six or nine months. When the past six months have already been mightily expensive for households. We have seen an increase of $300, a 25% increase since April. And according to energy companies, it's only going to get worse. Next year, using the current market prices, 
tariffs are going up a minimum 35%. Those orders of magnitude look uh, sound familiar to me. Employers and companies won't escape either, having already copped it. For small business, we've seen an increase of $1,500. Labor promised to act on electricity bills at the last election. We will see those energy prices drop by $275 by 2025. We find out now under Labor that with their policies, power prices are going to be jacked up by 35% over the next year. Labor can't be blamed for the global conditions that have seen power prices rocket, but it is burdened with finding a response. It's the states, not the Commonwealth, that regulate electricity prices, and throwing cash at households to offset higher power bills would only worsen inflation. A supply deal has been struck with gas companies, but it's far from enough to bring down the cost of gas. A more heavy-handed intervention might be required. Andrew Probin, ABC News, Canberra. Okay, am I missing something here? What, how is the, look, I know there's things going on in Russia and Ukraine, but the last time I heard, we produced our own gas and most, of the, most of the energy came from the, from um, you know, the UAE and Saudi Arabia and, mm. you know, what and whatnot. So what the hell is going on here? Is this, um, what's your take on this? Yeah, well, I mean, number one, there's just massive, massive manipulation of prices in, in the energy market. And, you know, many of those energy suppliers have just taken advantage of the, you know, the, the brouhaha in, in Ukraine. And, and of course, the, uh, the, the severing of, the, of, of Nord Stream 1 and 2, almost certainly by, by the US or certainly by NATO, uh, to, to jack up prices. Um, and, and then, of course, when you have these insane policies where, where, governments are, are, are essentially forbidding further exploration or certainly getting in the way of further energy exploration and further exploitation of, of Australia's abundant energy resources, uh, plus, plus the, the um, embargo on, on nuclear power in Australia. Now, I freely admit, I never used to be a supporter of, of nuclear power plants. You know, I think we, we all got burned by, by things like uh, when I say burned, we, we all got sort of psychologically burned by things like the Three Mile Island disaster and then more recently Chernobyl and, and Fukushima. Um, but, it, you know, it, it is possible to build safe nuclear power plants. And, and if we lifted this insane embargo on the development of nuclear energy in Australia, like, sure, it takes a long time to build these reactors, but, but you know, if we... Uh, if governments actually took that decision now we could actually ensure our energy independence we, we have abundant reserves of uranium of course we, we export the stuff all over the world and yet government after government government has said oh no we, we can't actually build nuclear power plants here so we've got we've got a whole lot of coal and we, we have technology for cleaner uh, coal burning power plants um, we, we've got abundant gas reserves. The, the thing we don't have a, a whole lot of is oil. But you know, this this, this is insane. We, we actually could be energy or largely energy independent, and governments just won't uh, won't enact the policies that allow us to to be energy independent. So we're we're dependent on this world market. And, you, you know, and, and they deliberately manipulate prices. And then when government comes in and says, oh, well, we'll subsidise your power bills, that's, that's the green light for energy companies to jack them up further. Yeah. I mean, look at the university system. Like, I mean, subsidising universities since what, since the 90s or the 80s? Yeah. yeah. And what do you and see? University fees go up. Yeah. Higher and higher you know? and higher and higher. 
Yeah. Why not? It's free money and then increases inflation. So this this government intervention, once again, like yeah. I think I feel like every time I, I do one of these podcasts, we talk about it where government intervention is just it's I mean, look, I'm, I'm sure there's a rare occasion where it is a good thing, uh, but I, I have yet to see that. Yes, I, I suppose it's still theoretically possible, but uh, my goodness, um, you, you'd really have to rack your brains trying to figure out where government intervention is, isn't making the problem worse. Yeah. <laughs> and that's government's job, isn't it? Make it worse well, so you go, need go, them government's more. Job, government's job is to create more government, <laughs> right? And, and yep. this is the problem. You know, it's it's once you have a bureaucracy established, uh, that bureaucracy wants to self-perpetuate and it wants to enlarge itself. And that means that bureaucracy is going to create more and more legislation, red tape, so that there can be more people employed and, and they want to spend all their budget so that they can demand more, at, at, you know, at, at the next budgetary um, allocation. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, this, this is a, a problem that, that will eventually be solved by total economic collapse. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a hell of a way to solve the problem. Yeah, it certainly won't be solved by more government, I'll tell you that. No, yeah. no, 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 no. Speak, speaking of the government, the pandemic review is out. Um, independence um, panel uh, led by Western Sydney University Chancellor and former top public servant Peter Shergold. So they found that schools should have stayed open surprise surprise not only that they found that the fractured uh pandemic response failed the most vulnerable um which would have been which was the old disregarded um the young and abandoned some of the nation's most disadvantaged communities so all these virtue signals on twitter who were screaming for lockdowns because they could handle it they were at home with their laptops and earning 150 grand a year at their sitting their desk sort of jobs um you know and I, I'd, I'd have to say look even even i in the service sector wasn't that affected by the pandemic money wise um but so many people were and nobody thought about these people and we screamed this from the rooftops at the start and the middle and yep. the end of this um, this this makes my blood boil it really does. Like it's it's hard for me to maintain a sense of equilibrium in the face of this because yeah, like you, I was getting on social media from from the get go saying this makes no sense. We 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 have a pandemic preparedness plan. We have one. You know, the UK has one. The US has one. Every country in the world that's a member state of of, of the uh, of the WHO and that has signed on to the international health regulations has a pandemic preparedness plan. Um, read through it. It's based on decades of of, of research and it says. Uh, school closures are are like the, the pandemic has to be really really deadly, including to young people, and and young people have to be a vector of spread to justify school closures, and then only for a brief period. Yep. So that entire pandemic preparedness plan was torn up and thrown out the window, and as a consequence, we had absolutely the most vulnerable people badly affected. And when I got on social media, which I don't do much anymore because it's too damn aggravating, and I pointed out exactly that that it was the it was the poorest, it was the elderly, it was the the children, it was the most vulnerable who were worst affected by this. the The response was la 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 la, and you're a granny killer. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, oh, there are many, many people that I no longer have any contact with. <laughs> I'm sure I'm not alone in this because their 
their response to me pointing out the bleeding obvious and and, and points that, that gave rise to things like our pandemic preparedness plan, Australia's national pandemic preparedness plan, were completely ignored. And, and you're right. These were the virtue signalers who were sitting at home, you know, able to work from home on their laptops. Um, and and the, 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 the people who, could, who had a solid internet connection and laptops so that their kids could do school at home. They were completely ignoring the plight of people who did not have the means to do that. And now we see how far behind kids who were kept out of school have fallen behind, right? Yeah. They've fallen behind. Uh, so, so there was a, a review that was released in the US of, of just how far backwards kids' reading ability and their mathematics skills have fallen right? So no, this is, this is just beyond aggravating. And I mean, what, what's really aggravating is that the people who are responsible for these decisions uh, are clearly not being held accountable. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's very aggravating and they're going to palm it off as just being, oh, well, we, you know, we did our best at the start or just. Well, we had the common, best of intentions. Yeah, we no, had the best of I intentions. I don't buy it. You didn't oh, have the best of intentions. You know what? I could buy it. I, did, I didn't buy it, sorry. I, I, under, I understood in the first couple of months. I thought, okay, well, I, I think this is not, I think this is just like, you know, a nothing burger, but I could be wrong. So, but after a couple of months, it was pretty clear. There was a lot of science that came out and anybody could mm. see that. Anybody yes. that didn't have the blinkers on. Um, I'm, you... I'm, I'm, I'm going to be less generous than you because, like I said, you know, we have a long-standing pre pandemic preparedness plan and that pandemic preparedness plan has um, uh, different levels depending on the severity of the pathogen. And, and yeah. so even, even at the severest level of a pathogen, you know, the most deadly uh, pathogen that, that you can imagine, um, the, there was never any consideration of the types of policies that were enacted here and and elsewhere in the world yeah and uh so so it, it's it's unforgivable as far as i'm concerned i, I don't cut any of them any slack because that's the whole damn reason you have a national pandemic preparedness plan and it's not that oh this was a black swan event and and we couldn't have anticipated that really that's what the plan was for yeah which was written a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and revised and updated in August of 2019 yeah. with the latest and greatest science. Yeah. Yes, it, it, you're right, it is unforgivable. I'm probably a little bit too lenient on that, but that, <laughs> um, yeah, look, and to further on that, there's another article here, which was in the Daily Mail of all places, but um more than double the number of Aussies died from suicide than COVID that year. So alcohol-related deaths rose 5.8% in 2021 during the year of long lockdowns. Male death rate surge reaching highest level in records going back a decade. Suicide was the 15th most common cause of death, while COVID was the 34th. And again, what aggravates the heck out of me is that this was so predictable and um, so I've, I've talked about Australia's pandemic preparedness plan and mentioned that every country uh, signed up to the IHR had one. Now, there was a, a, a document that was published in, if memory serves, it was 2006 by Donald Henderson uh, and 
a couple of other co-authors. Now, Donald Henderson was the architect of the uh, smallpox eradication strategy. So he's basically the man credited with the eradication of smallpox from, from the place of, from the face of, of planet Earth, except, except for the, the ones that get from the vial, you know, as a just-in-case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in terms of, of actual contagious smallpox, he was the guy who, who you know, figured out how to, how to get rid of it. By the way, um, with most of the world's population not vaccinated against smallpox, I just thought I'd throw that one in. Mm. Um, and, and so this, this document that was co-written by, by Donald Henderson specifically stated that, that um, you know, communities cope best with, with any kind of, of, you know, severe um, um, pandemic or, or minor pandemic if their lives are the least disrupted, okay? So what he called on government to do and mind you, we're talking about a guy who was very familiar with severe infectious diseases. Smallpox is no walk in the park. And even in the case of smallpox, his advice was you don't disrupt people's lives any more than you absolutely have to because the cost of that disruption to people's lives, to their work, to their social life, to going to church, to, to educating their children will be greater than any possible benefit that you could gain by interfering with their lives. So, you know, did, did, did people become depressed because their lives had, had been uh, ruined by government action? You bet they did. Um, and with the places that people go to, to, um, um, to connect and restore their sanity, uh, going out to cafes, bars, restaurants, um, you know, going to church, going to, going to clubs, uh, going to sporting events, with all of that gone, what do you think they were going to do? They were going to drink too heavily and they were going to use drugs. Oh, and, and then the other thing, I don't know if it was mentioned in this report, but, but for the first time um, in a long, long while, more ex-smokers took up the habit again and more people started smoking. Than, than they had in decades. So, you know, all that, all that work, all that public money poured into smoking cessation programs over decades reversed because of uh, stupid slash incompetent slash just flat out um, 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 maleficent policies. Yeah, yeah. And if you want to read more about that, they, they do have the report here in a PDF format, the full report. It's called Fault Lines. So I'll link to that in the show notes. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Everyone needs to read that and, yeah. and, and you know, get mad and then take action, including vote the bums out. You know, if, you're, if your sitting member was in favour of this, vote them out. Yeah, yeah. It's time I'll, to get I'll, a chance. I think uh, bring back the guillotine. I think I've said this on the podcast before, but, yeah. <laughs> um, so I would go as far to call this democide. Um what the mm -hmm. government has done and further proof of this has come out in the federal budget recently the covid vaccine injury payouts explode to 77 million dollars this is so this is not what happened last year or this year this is what they are forecasting next year in the budget and it's been buried um, in the Service Australia's portfolio budget statement in a table detailing third-party payments from the agency on behalf of other entities. So they have paid out just over $937,000, which works out to be about 47 people. And if they received the maximum tier one amount of $20,000. So in 2022-23, that amount is estimated to blow out to $76.9 million dollars equating to 3,845 tier one claims. So a tier one claim is when you have 
been significantly impaired or where there's been a death involved. And as you know, the these are only ones that the they can prove. And the TGA is happy to sort of say, hey, yeah, this is clearly a, a vaccine injury. Not to mention the 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 other ninety percent uh, at least who are um, are injured and can't sort of get the support from the government. So that you're looking at close to 400,000 people here who have been injured by vaccines in Australia, which is phenomenal considering we've only got about 30 million people in the country. Mm. And considering how few deaths um, either from or with COVID have occurred, yeah. And, of course, the vast majority of those deaths attributed to COVID have been with rather than from. Yes. The, again, this, this is aggravating on, on just so many levels, okay? So Australian taxpayers paid out to develop these products, okay? So there were millions of dollars that were contributed by, by the federal government to the development process. So you've got for-profit companies like Pfizer and AstraZeneca and whatnot I'm not sure if AstraZeneca received taxpayers' money, but but several of the of the companies that marketed these products for profit received taxpayers' money. Then the taxpayer got hit again for the government propaganda campaign to promote it. Then the, the, the taxpayer gets hit again to actually buy the products that our taxpayers' fund helped develop. And now the taxpayer gets slugged again to pay compensation for the people mm. who've been injured. Yeah. And then on top of that, we, we lose a whole lot of taxpayers because there's so many people who've been catastrophically injured and will never work again and pay tax again. Yeah. So that's you and I and all, all the other, you know, um, tax cattle paying out for all of this. Now, I also, I'm, I'm seeing in, in, my, in my practice, I'm seeing an increasing number of people who've been catastrophically injured. And what the, the sad thing that is happening is that, because, because in order to, to claim that, that you know, top level of, of 20 grand, which, by the way, you know, your life's been ruined, you'll never work again, that, mm. and they give you 20 grand, thanks for nothing. So in order to, to minimise the number of, 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 of people who qualify for that, what the hospitals are doing is they're discharging people who present with vaccine injuries so that they don't stay overnight because you, you've got to actually stay overnight in hospital in order to be eligible for this. So I, I now have clients who uh, have not been able to work since they got their shot. And in, in one particular case that, that's top of mind for me right now, the, uh, the doctors have acknowledged that this, this poor, poor fellow was, was vaccine, you know, inverted commas, not a vaccine, was injured by the thing. Um, so they've, give, they've written a medical exemption to exempt him from, from any further shots, but they will not sign off on his uh, claim uh, for, uh, that, you know, for, for vaccine injury compensation. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Well, so now it, he has to sort of fight his way. It yeah. is believable. But... Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. It, it's just um, it's evil. Uh, and I never used to use that word because I don't really have like a religious framework here. But, but yeah, this is evil. Yeah. So, is, so in other words, is. these powers are the tip of the iceberg because yeah. most people who, who should be getting this, this payment are being prevented from claiming it by, by hook or by crook. Yeah. Uh, so I'd have to correct myself there as well. I said 90%, which would make that 38,000 tier one claims. But um, on the Harvard studies figures, which found it was 1% of all vaccine injuries are actually reported that would make it yes. around the 380,000 mark but 
And I do. yeah, they, they, these people are being gaslit. They they yeah. have they have terrible injuries, and no doctor that they see will will certify, or very few no. will will certify. Yes, this this is a vaccine injury. Even when it's something like myocarditis, for God's sake, which is an acknowledged injury. Yeah. And look, I think it's about to get a lot worse too, because the ASIP committee in the United States, and this is our last story for the night. Um, has approved mRNA vaccines for the childhood schedule 15 to zero. So this yeah. means that any state in the United States will be able to make this a requirement to get into school, daycare, um, yeah, you name it. Are- it's, it's terrible news and yet it's actually good news, right? Because it's so outrageous, it's so egregious that I think we're finally going to see a, a level of pushback in the US, particularly in the red states. I mean, you know, Joe, Joe Ladapo, the, um, uh, the uh, Surgeon General of Florida, has already come out and said there is no way, there is no way that Florida is going to permit uh, any school in this state to mandate this injection for children. We're, we're not having it. And yeah. so I think, you, you're, you know, you're finally going to see uh, massive legal action taken against this and legal action presumably means discovery and all the conflicts of interest in, in uh, members of the ASIP committee are going to be laid bare. And, yeah, this is, uh, I, on the one hand, it's just, I would say, unbelievable, but clearly it's not. It, it, it's stunning. The decision like that a decision like this would be made especially yet, 15 to zero 15 to zero yeah. like there wasn't even one person who would raise their hand and go no i th- this is this is unconscionable you know look around the world you've got multiple countries who are saying we will not put this stuff into kids um and and they they go ahead and approve it 15 to zero i mean it, it, it's and it's so outrageous and so egregious that that i think it's going to be that red flag you know to, to a bull red rag to a bull Definitely. And there's, I mean, the reason why they've done this is pretty clear. So the emergency okay. is no longer an emergency anymore. It would never was, you got it. But, um, yep. which means the prep prep act, which covers them at the moment is about to run out and they can now have them on the schedule, which means they're fully covered by the liability government. free products. Liability yeah, free. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. They can finally then, yeah. actually re- release that um, vaccine that will, the jab, that got fully approved, which they haven't released yet. It's just sitting on the shelf. So they can do that now and they can put it out into the into the schedule and anybody who gets it and gets, you know, stuffed up by it is can't do the thing about it. Tough titties to you. Go go fight it out in in, in vaccine court and, and try your luck there. Yeah. yeah. This is, I, yeah. I agree with you. This is going to open a lot of eyes. Um, yes. Especially when you've had when you, when like you look 5%, at, when you look at you know, how uptake. how oh, sorry, you um you go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying that there's like an incredibly low uptake of, of the vaccine with children in, yes, in the United States. exactly. Even in democratic even, states. <laughs> even in the bluest of blue yep. states, for yep. the youngest kids, the, the, the take-up is so low. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I'm guessing you're going to see a continued exodus of people out of the blue states and into the red states. And, and of those who remain, there's going to be a significant pushback. So yep. bring it on. Bring yep. it on, I say. Yeah. And more, more good news is it's not just Florida who's come out and said they're not going to do it. I think pretty much every single Republican state has said the same thing. So, yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, interesting times ahead, right? Maybe <laughs> live in interesting times. Well, we got the old Chinese curse, didn't we? Here we are. <laughs> hey, look, we, we've, got, we've got some good news here tonight. There's some shocking news. But in the end, I think 
it's plain to see even for your your the newbies of noobs out there. So yeah, but we've run out of time tonight, Robin. So thank you once again for joining us. And um, we will see you again, hopefully, in a, a month or so. I would say I'm looking forward to it, but it's, the, it's, it's that kind of, well, we're going to have more bad news. But on the other hand, it's important that we bring this to people's attention and that we do point out the silver lining to, to the cloud. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> well, thank you very much again and uh, have a great night, okay? Yeah, you too. Thank you for all listening to this podcast. We all do this for the love of it at Stand Up, so if you've found value in what you've heard today and would like to give some value back, then please donate at our website, www.standupnowaustralia.com.au. Please share this podcast with your family, friends, and even your enemies. We can be found on good podcasting and podcasting 2.0 apps on Android, Apple, and your PC. If you have any stories you'd like to be discussed on the show, please email them to me at van.ludwig at protonmail.com. That's van.ludwig at protonmail.com. See you all next week.